Welcome to the New Money Habits Podcast, where we talk about how to create a better plan for your money so you don't have to live paycheck to paycheck. Here are your hosts, Sarah Jones and Nino Villa. Welcome back, Budgeteers. Coach Nino Villa here. Alongside me, it's my partner on the airways, Sarah Jones. Hello there, Sarah. Hello, hello. I don't know why, but all of a sudden I got like Dr. Seuss in my head and I wanted to say, hi there, Sarah. How do you do? Tell me, tell me, what is new? (laughs) So now I'm going to keep it and we're going to go with it. (laughs) That's awesome. I wish I had something clever to respond to that, but I don't. (laughs) Normally somebody does something clever and I freeze. So, um... Yes, I, I, now you've left me speechless. Now I, I don't I even. <laughs> right. And, and our listeners are like, no, they're really going to edit this out, aren't they? No, I'm no. totally going to keep it in because <laughs> it just kind of came to me. I don't know why. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted to tell me, tell me what is new? How are things in Southern Texas? Please tell me, Sarah, what's. I see. I can't even rhyme it, but we're totally going to leave it in because it's that. That's just how things kind of transpire every once in a while. Yeah, and I I think that's a good representation of what our pre conversations oftentimes look like. So what nobody, none of the listeners actually get to hear. <laughs> yep. This is a good example of of what actually happens. Um, I am doing very well. Um, I. I'm going to say my stomach hurts a little bit from laughing. That was actually kind of funny and needed. And um, South Texas is beautiful. I do love it here. We might stay here. We might winter here um, next year for a little bit longer versus going to Arizona. So, Well, still going to go to Arizona next year, but we might stay here a bit longer next year. Okay. All right. I just want to take a moment and and call out to all of our listeners. Sarah did just say we are going to winter here, right? <laughs> like, like, okay. All right. We're summering in the Hamptons and we're wintering in <laughs> South Texas. And just, I don't know. Apparently I, I am in a mood or something. I, I apologize. And at the same time, bear with us. It, it's going to be a fun ride. <laughs> You know, in my life, wintering is a verb. It's not yes. a season. It's a verb. We we are wintering here next yeah. year yeah, for a little just, bit longer. I'm not it, gonna I'm not gonna say for sure. I'm not gonna you know we're gonna be in Arizona, but maybe not as long next year because, frankly, the weather here is a little bit better. The beaches here, mm. and. I hate to say this, but it is way more affordable here than it is in Arizona. So, see, that's wild yeah. to me. So, I'm going to go down a little bit of a tangent for our listeners. I've been in Arizona for a hot minute. Um, I've I've lived here off and on since 1998, and one of the things that was always great about Arizona was its affordability. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in 2010, when I bought the home we live in. I mean, I got a four bedroom, 2000 square foot home for $119,000. Like now I can put it on the market for $400,000 and I love my home, but my home is not a $400,000 house. It just isn't. Mm 
Um, I mean, the market would tell you otherwise. And so that saddens me because the affordability here was like incredible for such a long time. And now it's not as affordable. I think that there are very few places that I, you know, affordability is all relative. So I just Mm want to, you know, put that out there. But because we do travel a lot, I will be honest that we have noticed where people think that things are more affordable because we travel so much, we pick out different pieces. And while, um, for instance, Tennessee, everybody's like, oh, Tennessee, it's so affordable. It's so cheap. And while, while prices for homes and property might fall into the more affordable category, Mm -hmm. um, food was a little bit higher taxes, you know, way higher, um, fuel was higher, you know? And so it's, it, Truthfully, I think it really does average out in the scheme of things. I do love some of the places in Arizona that I miss greatly. Um, I'm just going to throw out there Winco Foods grocery store. Mm-hmm. I miss my Winco Foods because they are not on this side of the United States. Um, but here in, in southern Texas, I'm just going to throw it out there for anybody that cares. Um, we can now get diesel for under $4 a gallon diesel fuel for under $4 a gallon. You know, we spent $1,500 on diesel last month, almost $1,600 on diesel fuel last month, one month. So that's a lot. That is a lot in my world. Um, this RV park that we are staying at is very nice. Um, it's $467 a month plus electric where we were going back to in Arizona, I just looked, they raised their rates to eight twenty four a month plus mm. electric. You know, when somebody is more budget conscious, you know, these yeah. are the things that we're looking at. You know, that's double. I mean, that right. rent alone is double. Gas, right. fuel prices, I know, are much higher in Arizona. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, just things, you know, and I think it's, I think this is a great conversation to have, honestly, you know, so listeners, you know, anybody listening, you know, to take a look and, and to see that, that um, some things are higher and some aren't, you know, and, and to buy homes here, you know, in this area specifically, I, I wouldn't necessarily call them affordable. Um, I, I think that they're, they're, but the location, you know, you have to look at your location as well. And you've mm-hmm. got a, you've got the ocean and you've got fishing and you've got all these other activities here. Um, your homeowner's insurance going to be a lot higher because you need hurricane insurance here because hurricanes do come through this area quite often. So yeah. it's all relative, but um, it's, it's interesting to look at prices, you know, and really compare month to month what we spend and, and where we feel comfortable staying more months, you know, for longer mm-hmm. periods of time, because we know what, what uh, fits into our monthly money plan, our budget. Yeah. Well, and that's what we're going to, we're going to, kind of segues right into what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be doing another client case study. And um, so this is something that uh, is kind of new to what we've been doing, but uh, I think wildly interesting because I think it helps to illustrate that depending on uh, kind of where you are, also the makeup of uh, the household, you know, single versus married, kids, no kids, that whole thing um, really kind of, is the landscape that helps a budget take shape. And so we're going to dive into another client case study where um, we're going to take a look at one of Sarah's clients 
and uh, what's going on in their world. But before we do that, don't miss out on all this valuable financial insight. Subscribe to the New Money Habits podcast today and unlock a wealth of knowledge to empower your financial journey. Stay up to date with the latest episodes as Sarah and I discuss practical tips, host expert guests, and have thought-provoking discussions on all things money-related. Hit that subscribe button now to join our community of savvy listeners. All right, Sarah. So on deck today, we have one of your clients. Um, from what you've shared so far, I know about this much uh, uh, of this client. I believe it's a she. She is single, has an adult child living at home, and maybe some other adult children outside of the home. Is that right? That is correct. Yep. And, and I'll throw in one thing that I did not mention to you, which does make a difference in her goals that she has is, um, this, this lady is in her mid fifties. Um, she does bring home about $5,700 a month, um, from her full-time job. Um, and her main goals are to eliminate debt, to save for retirement, to build up her savings, She wants to also be able to give more. Giving and tithing to her church and to different charities is really important for her. And, you know, she's mentioned, you know, the possibility of buying a home. That's a little bit lower on her goals list right now. The eliminating debt, saving for retirement and building up her savings are the the top ones. So um, just as a side note to all of you listeners, we'd love for you to be viewers of this one. (laughs) So jump onto YouTube um, because I'm going to be sharing, we're going to be sharing our screens here. And um, we want you to be able to see the numbers and see everything that we're going through um, with this. So, you know, this lady, I just want to say, and I I really want to put this out there, um, that she really is amazing. You know, all of our clients are, but she's really amazing. And and something that she, I will say, has struggled with is um, really her financial identity and feeling like she never has enough and, and feeling behind in some of, um, you know, these areas. Number one, retirement. She feels like she's really behind in retirement. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and I'm going to be honest, if if we're talking about like, you know, maybe standards, she is a little bit behind and certainly behind where she wants to be. It will take some some dedication and some intentionality with her money to be able to get to a point to be able to retire in, you know, 10, 12 years, um, which is kind of beyond the, the normal retirement age. Hmm. Um, but, you know, when we go through and we're looking at um, her budget, her money plan, she does bring home again about $5,700 a month. Um, I'm, I'm not going to list out all of her expenses individually. If you're watching, you know, you and I have gone over them, you know, all of our listeners guys go on and, and watch this. You can see what, um, her monthly expenses are. You can see that she is currently not contributing to retirement. Um, you know, a little bit to her peace of mind fund. Um, you know, she is giving, um, you know, that is important for her. So a couple of different places that she's giving. Um, and she has some debts. And I'm curious, Nina, when you went over all the numbers, what what hit you first off or what what struck you when you were going through her numbers? Did something kind of jump out at you right away? Um, 
there was a couple of things that that jumped out to me. Um, one, uh, first and foremost, um, the fact that giving is a priority of hers. Um, I absolutely love that. I think that for those who are trying to implement giving into a budget, uh, oftentimes we we kind of pay everything and. Uh, and then we look at what's left and we're like, hey, am I in a position to give after all of this? But with the number that she's giving uh, being north of $300 a month, it's evident to me. I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong, but that she is making this a priority. And it's not if I have enough left over, I'm going to do it. She is prioritizing it and saying, I'm going to put this kind of at the top of the list of things I do. And then I will manage the rest of the money that I have. Uh, to the best of my ability. Yeah. And, you know, because it is so important for her and, and I don't want to bore anybody. Um, we could really get into mindset, you know, with a lot of this, you know, this is, it's a, I do a lot of mindset work with people. I do a lot of, um, you know, our behaviors you do as well, you know, our habits and behaviors with money and everything. So I don't want to dig too deep into this, but it's a priority, you know, for her. But again, one thing that she has struggled with is kind of financial identity and feeling like she's not enough. And so she has mm -hmm. tended to give. I want to be real careful of my words here. She hasn't given because she felt an obligation to. Okay. She's, she's given because she really believes that this is something that she wants to do. It is a priority. It makes her feel good. She, 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 um, I will say she is Christian and I know that Christians do believe that giving is um, not all that money is theirs, you know, so they do give back and in. So that is really important to her. One thing that has come in for her though, is the feeling of not enough. And so she has given more than she has felt comfortable with mm. because it's kind of filling a hole you know, within her self-esteem and self-worth area. So that's something we're going to talk about in a second. But I'll mm -hmm. just say that that she is prioritizing it, but she she has tended to give more than what she could financially afford to do. Mm. And because of that, then more debt has built up. And so um, one thing that struck me, you know, her eating out budget, you know, $500 a month um, mm -hmm. for just her, That that that's kind of on the upwards end of, um, there's nothing wrong with that, but her budget actually doesn't allow for her to really be doing that. And when we go through all of her numbers, her income minus her expenses, it leaves her in a deficit of about 490, almost $500 that she is mm -hmm. overspending. So here's what I would recommend. Number one, I would recommend you've got an adult kid living with you. They should be paying their way a little bit. So mm. have them request that they pay rent. And I even suggested $800 a month. I feel that that's more than affordable, um, you know, for an adult child who is working, you know, to help contribute to the rent, the utilities, and to food. Um, so that's, that's um, kind of option number one, or, you know, one of the things that, that I would recommend looking at this is ask your, ask the kid to, um, be paying some rent to contribute to the household. Mm -hmm. You and I, I know we've talked about that in the past. Um, and I think it's something that maybe not enough people take advantage of. So that's, that's one thing that I'm, I'm suggesting for her. Yeah. And if I may, for just a moment, you know, it's, mm -hmm. What we talked about, and just in case 
we have listeners who haven't caught other episodes where we talk about this, but adult children comp- contributing to the household is actually bringing them dignity. And so you, by having them be responsible, you, you afford them an opportunity to, to um, kind of grow up and, and have some of that dignity of like, I'm actually contributing to something here in a meaningful way. And if you're looking for guidelines or like guidance around like, well, how much would I charge? Because you you kind of threw out a number, $800. And we don't have any context or I don't have any context for how much does uh, the adult child make. But if you look at um, just kind of what is good practice, it is we would coach our clients not to spend more than about 25 to 30% of their monthly income on their uh, keeping a roof over their head, you know, their living situation. And so I would say like, if I know that the child is making, let's say $2,000 a month, well, a quarter of that would be $500. And so, yes, that person should contribute $500 a month in that particular scenario. So I agree, not only should parents uh, of adult children be more apt to kind of say, look, you're an adult child and you need to be contributing to this household. It, it, and it's going to be far less than what you would have to contribute if you went out on your own or got a roommate and, and all that stuff. So uh, could not agree with you more. There's an opportunity there for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I didn't actually make a ton of adjustments with her numbers per se, Mm-hmm. But one thing that I find that um, gets really hard for a lot of people is there are a lot of like line items in a budget. There's a lot to manage. And so I actually kind of condensed a couple of her um, line items and I just made it like a home maintenance category. Mm. And so there were some filters, there was some floor care, there was, you know, pest control, you know, some other things that she is responsible for, um, even though she rents. I just created one category. Let's just put it all into one and let's condense it a little bit and make it a little bit e- easier to manage. Um, I find for a lot of time, for a lot of people, that helps because it's not so many little pieces, not so many envelopes, not so many different categories. One category that houses a lot of different opportunities or options within it. So, yeah, I love um, that. And one of the things that I would encourage, like, I imagine you do this too, but uh, if not, feel free to steal it. Is when we have a cash envelope like that, where it's like it is going to um, cover a number of different line items so that we can consolidate, just write those on the envelope itself, right? So that you kind of remember, like, okay, this is going for things like air filters and having landscaping done or whatever that might look like. Um, so I really like the idea of that. But when some people are like, but I'm afraid I'm going to forget. Well, we can also just jot down on the envelope what that category is going to cover. Yeah, I love that. That's a really great tip. And I think that um, I say, you know, you're identifying what this is for. Same that we do. I don't want to go down a huge rabbit hole, but same with savings accounts, you know, or sinking Mm -hmm. funds or your peace of mind fund. You identify what they are used for. It helps you to um, be more intentional. It knows when you use it and when you don't. It just, it simplifies things. Um, So, yes, we identify what what each of those. So great tip, Nino. Thank you for, for sharing that because I think mm-hmm. that it helps us be, um, again, just more aware and more intentional with where our money is going. Um, 
for retirement, you'll notice I didn't put a number in here for retirement, but what her and I talked about is um, she ended up upping her contributions at work. So um, that actually changed how much she was bringing home. Um, I didn't make a huge adjustments, you know, here um, on this spreadsheet, but we did up her contributions at work. Well, that will actually reduce what her bring home pay is not by very much, hmm. but that's something to be aware of. Um, I, another option here, I didn't make the adjustment, but something that I did mention to her is look at your um, power company for electric and see what options they have. You know, maybe 235, maybe that's a little bit high, maybe it's a little bit low, but it felt a little bit high for other people, you know, that I'm familiar with that live in the area. So this is something that all of you listeners can do is call all of your utility companies and see what options there are for budget billing. Do they have different types of programs that are available? So it, it may reduce what your monthly costs are, or it might average them out, which makes putting together your monthly budget a little bit easier throughout the year. Cell phones as well. Something that I would recommend to her is go through, you know, what are your actual plan costs and are you paying for other devices on that plan? You know, $230 for one phone, again, felt a little bit high. So go through and do we need to pay a phone off or are there devices on there that you're not using? Um, as we scroll down, you know, we made some, again, some other adjustments with these adjustments that I made within her budget, you know, we did a turnaround by asking for rent, you know, from the kid that's living at home. We did about a $700 a month turnaround on our budget. So um, overspending by almost $500 to now having a surplus of $228. She's retire re um, contributing to retirement more. So that was one of her goals. Um, We've got our peace of mind fund at about $250 a month versus the 50 that she was. So we upped that five times over, you know, so again, that's another goal that she was working on. We reduced her eating out. You know, we really talked about this. I've shared this before, you know, there's eating out for connection and there's eating out for convenience. And for her, um, she really wanted to eat out for connection. And I did leave this in the convenience category. I would probably move it up here into the creating community or creating impact, right? Mm -hmm. But we did reduce it by quite a bit. Um, so from 500 down to $200 a month. Um, so she's getting a couple of areas, right? She's hitting a couple of areas. Debt payoff will come. Mm -hmm. One thing that I want to also mention is when I was getting, you know, and talking with her, she had a rollover. So basically a balance in her checking account of $38.93. Now... Um, this actually was due to a bonus that she received, you know, a, a couple months prior and, you know, she hadn't spent it. And I'm going to add that in here because I want to show this particular person. What I see so many people do, Nino, is they spend and they budget all of their money. But you and I talk about we budget by paycheck, right? Mm -hmm. Well, on a spreadsheet like this, it's just kind of showing the month and it shows the pay periods. She needs about a $2,500 rollover from the end of one month to the start of the next month. And that's that's carrying it through. So basically, this is covering her from October 22nd until November, whatever two weeks is, you know, in November. Mm -hmm. I don't know my dates, right? So we're going to say the November 8th or whatever, right? 
So she needs $2,500 in this little box down here to be able to roll over. So she's paying her mortgage on time, you know, because um, bills are still due at the first of the month. Right. And I, I'm, I'm just right. pointing this out because I see a lot of people forget about this step. So that's why I'm adding it in here. Um, so she can roll over that 20, about twenty four, twenty five hundred dollars yeah, so if I if I may kind of put it in a, in a few different words to illustrate the point. So let's say you're paid bi-weekly and you're getting paid on the 27th of October. If you're paid bi-weekly, the next time you get paid would be the, the 10th of November. And what I see happens with clients too often when I first start working with them is they believe November money pays November bills, right? But if the first time you're getting money in November is the 10th and you had a bunch of bills due between the 1st and the 10th, you are now behind. And that causes stress and anxiety. It may cause late payments and and it may uh, lead to you not paying something and extending the uh, the time that you're late even farther and all these different things. So it may sound like common sense, and I think it may be something that you, Sarah, and myself kind of take for granted all these years later, but it's like, no, 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 no. Because we budget by pay period, on October 27th, we're looking ahead to November 10th and asking ourselves, what is due between now and then? And of course, because the first of the month shows up, we know rent or mortgage, possibly a car payment, car insurance, those types of things. And so we budget by pay period to ensure that we are paying our bills on time or early. Thank you for breaking that down better than, than I did. Um, I was definitely clumsy with it, but, but I'm glad we're having this conversation because it happens so often, right? And you're right. You just think, look, I get paid on the 10th and that covers November bills. Well, you still have the first through the ninth of, of bills due. And so that's why this rollover, I call it a rollover. That's why it's so important to pay attention to. So when you're looking at, you know, here, you know, $3,300 would be her rollover then, right? When I added the, the rollover that she brought into the month, we want to, we don't want to spend all this money. We don't want to allocate this $3,300 to things. Would it be nice? Yes. But we need to be um, thinking ahead and remembering that there are bills due in the next couple of weeks before the next pay period comes in. So um, yeah. I made a few other adjustments, you know, um, she can make larger payments to the federal tax and the state tax bills that she has, you know, to get those knocked out a little bit quicker. So again, with these adjustments to her budget, you know, contributing to retirement, that was one of her goals, putting more money into her peace of mind fund, that was one of her goals, and eliminating debt was one of her goals. And we're doing that here. Side note that I want to just mention. A lot of times people will tell you, you know, build up your peace of mind fund before you start, you know, throwing extra money at debt. I actually do believe that. I think that it's wise because we know that Murphy is going to show up at your doorstep at the most inopportune time, right? So I definitely encourage people to get a peace of mind fund built. Mm -hmm. The times that we would look at that and, and make some different choices, this falls into that category when 
she owes taxes, state and federal taxes, and had not done had not done um, tax filing for the year yet. So this is from previous years, really weighing on her. And so I said, you know, let's make some larger payments in. Let's get those knocked out so it's not weighing on you so much, you know, so we can get back on track with the IRS. We can get back on track with the state. You just have those knocked off your plate. And then we can go back to putting more money into your peace of mind fund. Hmm. Yep. It, 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 I'm stammering for words right now because I, I empathize so much when somebody is trying to accomplish multiple things. Right? You said that this, uh, this is a woman who's closer to retirement, but feels like she's behind on retirement. She doesn't have the savings in place that she wishes that she had, uh, and she's got debt to eliminate. So th- those are three things just right there. Plus, she wants to consider buying a house. You said that was low on the um, on the the priority list. But when you have all of these different things you're trying to do with your money, it gets really overwhelming as to where do I allocate those dollars? How do I do this so that I actually make progress on one of these four goals? Because sometimes we'll we'll contribute to all four goals, but we don't feel like we're making progress in any of them. And so it gets really frustrating and really overwhelming. It is one of the areas that I I noticed um, when you shared the numbers with me is I I took a look at the debt area. And one of the things I don't have, um, and we can talk about it if if it's needed, I don't know that it is. Um, But the um, how much she owes overall, because um, when when thinking about like with the federal taxes for just as if for instance, um, it says here that she owes. And I'm about to share my screen. I just want to make sure I'm grabbing the right one. Um, it says that she's paying two hundred dollars a month, right? So two hundred a month uh, for federal taxes, two hundred a month for state taxes. I think knowing how much she owes overall is also. Um, contributes to the conversation about how do we move through the debt to pay it off effectively? Because if she owes a total of like, let's say $600 in federal uh, taxes, well, the quicker we can get that paid off, the quicker she frees up that $200. But if she owes 20 grand, well, we're probably not paying off 20 grand anytime soon. And so making the $200 a month payments is exactly what's right. But where my eyeballs went next was the student loans. Student loans are going back into repayment. We're in that season now that they were on payment pause if they were federal student loans. They're going back into repayment. And uh, without knowing the entire situation, my eyeballs went to $500 a month. And instantly I started to think about income-based repayment for her in that particular situation. But uh, I'll pause there to see, like, have you, have you, um, have you and her gone down and investigated that line? Yeah. So I, I want to just highlight something that you mentioned too, you know, about kind of like splitting up, you know, and it feeling very overwhelming when you want to hit a lot of different areas. And, and I think that if she were in a different age bracket, we might be tackling some things a little bit differently. 
Mm-hmm. But because of her age and because of where she's been at financially, that's kind of why we chose. We did actually choose to hit all three at once, um, which I wouldn't normally do. You mm-hmm. know, the retirement, the saving and the debt payoff all at once. Um, the debt payoff, she and I just looked it up. Um, about 1500 to state and about a little over 9000 to federal. So mm. um, significant. And, and that was really weighing on her. The student loans weren't weighing on her as much. Um, one thing that we will talk about is the income-based repayment um, for student loans. We have not gone over that. Um, I have to forgive me. I don't believe those are actually her student loans either. I believe they were like a parent plus or uh-huh. um, it it was, it was a parent plus loan. So I don't know the income based is the right. Mm. I don't know that that's an option for her, but that doesn't mean that we can't look into some other ones. And here's another um, option, you know, can the kid that it was used for, can they take over some of these loans or can they contribute to some of the repayment? You know, there's, there are always options, but, um, yeah. um, yeah, we have to go through and, and just look at all the options for her, right? Because $500 a month, that's significant, um, money leaving her account. Yep. Yeah. And just to highlight again, the option that you just, just suggested, right? So once an adult child graduates and is gainfully employed, they may be well in a financial situation to take on that responsibility. Thanks, mom and dad, for helping me to get through school. Thanks for taking out that loan on my behalf. Let me make the payment for you guys because I'm now gainfully employed. I make more than enough to cover it. And it, it might just be, it, it, it's definitely worth investigating and just having the conversation. And, and, and taking it from there, if, if it's something that they can afford, uh, if they can contribute a portion of it, whatever that might look like, where uh, it, would, it, it would help your primary client's financial situation by getting some assistance there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm just going to, I'm going to throw this out there, that if your parents choose to help you with a parent plus loan, it's not because they want to take on that debt. They are helping you out. They are helping Mm -hmm. you out. So don't leave them with it. I'm just going to throw, don't leave them with it that I, I don't, I think that you each, if that is your case, you have more integrity than that. And I do believe it comes down to integrity um, and, and ethics that, you work a plan before your parents take that loan out work, have that conversation with your parents, mm-hmm. right? Devise a plan that you both can go through, um, on those parent plus loans. Yeah. And I'm going to get up on my soapbox for just a moment since we're talking about it. And that's the federal government has this whole situation, uh, set up in a really odd manner. Meaning when the child is 25 years old or younger, they only qualify for so many subsidized loans. And and if they qualify for any unsubsidized loans, it's few, which then requires the parent to get involved with this parent plus loan. But the moment the child is 26 years old, 
no longer can they even get help from their parents. So the amount that they can then take out in unsubsidized loans goes up. So why are we putting the burden on the parents to take out the money? Oh, that's right, because the federal government knows that 18-year-olds shouldn't be taking out $60,000 worth of debt. But, ooh, all right, I'm going to get off my soapbox now because now I'm I'm fired up. You know, I agree. I agree. You know, and this was a hard conversation. I'm not saying that this is not a hard conversation. If if any of you have listened before, you will know that I have two kids that are college age. Um, my son has student loans. My daughter has student loans. My son dropped out, you know, went to college for a couple years, dropped out. He is now going to community college. He is paying that on his own, but he still has student loans from the first go around. My daughter is going you know, we're planning on her graduating um, with her bachelor's degree. And she did ask, you know, she's like, well, will you do this? Will you co-sign? Will you take parent plus loans out? And I was like, absolutely not. Mm. <laughs> absolutely not. So guys know that th all of us love our children, right? We all love our children. That's not, that, that's not part of the equation here. So don't say, well, I love my kids. And I wanted to help them out. We all love our kids. I am helping my kids, my children out, even by not co-signing, even by not taking out parent plus loans. Mm -hmm. So you can say no. You can also have the conversations with your kids and say, put it in writing. There's nothing wrong. Let them know this is the real world. So write it down. What happens if this, if we take out a parent plus loan? What happens if we take out student loans? What happens if we co-sign for you? Who's really responsible? What are your responsibilities with it? And what are our responsibilities with it? Sit down and go through that. Have that conversation with them. With you not, I think you are doing yourselves and you're doing your children a disservice. Mm -hmm. yep. so, Sarah okay. just came Cough out with mine. the mama voice. The mama bear, bear voice just came out. So as you can see, like, it, right, it, and the, the part that you emphasized was have the conversation, which is the easiest part. It is the most difficult, but it really is the easiest part because no money has exchanged hands yet, right? right. The federal government hasn't written a, hasn't dispersed a loan to your child yet. You haven't, like, just have the conversation. You want to go to school. How are you going to pay for it? Oh, you're expecting me to take a loan out on your behalf? Tell me how that's going to work out. <laughs> right. Uh, good stuff. Um, I will say, uh, as we kind of wrap up uh, this particular case study, one of the other things that I noticed, and it's it's not a big big deal, but I have this uh, this line item on uh, the spreadsheet that I work with uh, clients that says spending cash, and it's under the enjoy your hard earned money a bit. Now, there's plenty of other things that she has in this particular category when it comes to like streaming services and whatnot. But um, I think it's also important that um, people who are working really, really hard for the money put a couple of bucks in their pocket every week, every two weeks, however frequently you are um, you're paid to be able to spend guilt free. Like, and it doesn't need to be a lot of money. But there should be some money that you can go out and if you like to hit the drive through for a $7 coffee, that you go and get your $7 coffee and you don't feel bad about it because 
it's part of your budget. And so I, I just noticed that that there wasn't anything there for that specifically. I know she's running a pretty uh, tight budget, but it's just one of those things that I would encourage all of our listeners, all of our viewers, when you're when you're budgeting for your hard earned money, some of it, 20 bucks a week, $40 a week, some of it should be uh, penciled in for you to spend guilt-free. Um, yes, to that as well. And um, I think that, that that is what helps us to feel better about our money just in general, right? Knowing that we can do some of the things that we really want to do um, without the guilt, without the shame, without all the other stuff. You know, we've planned for it. Um, and depending on where you're at, that might be a little bit more or might be a little bit less, but doing some of it, right? Just taking $5 a week goes a long ways for making you feel like, hey, I get to do whatever I want, right? Like I can go and spend it. I can save up for a couple of weeks and buy flowers. I can go out and grab a little treat, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, so noted, I'm going to have that conversation with her too. Yep. I am in rare form today. You said you could buy flowers, and all I can hear now is Miley Cyrus. I can buy myself flowers. <laughs> rare form. <laughs> all right. As we wrap things up, um, for anybody who um, uh, was listening in earlier and uh, the, the giving conversation, I just wanted to do a shameless plug for an episode of the new money habits podcast that uh i did months ago but go back into our archives if you are wondering about tithing and from a mindset to how much i should be doing and all that um i cover that in an episode uh, about tithing so go back and, and check that out because uh, i think it's uh it's an interesting one uh giving i anytime i sit down with a client i'm like i'm never going to tell you to stop giving because that's just not who I am. Like, I think it's really important. At the same time, from a biblical perspective, we are supposed to have our house in order so that we can then help our fellow neighbor. So if you're doing something at the detriment of your own home, I just want you to think about that. So I address all that in the, the tithing episode. Go back and check that out because I think it, uh, it'll it be a good watch for anybody who is like, I want to hear more about that. For sure. It's important, right? It's um, it, it, it's it's very important. And, and I think sometimes everybody, regardless what you believe, I think we all need that reminder, right, of, of how to give in a way that feels right for us. Um, so. Yep. Yep. Never to give out of compulsion or obligation, but from a cheerful heart, which it sounds like she's doing. She's just doing it maybe a little bit above her means. And uh, again, I, I never tell a, a client like, hey, I think you should stop giving. It's just let's be really mindful about um, the motivation and that it's coming from the place you want it to. Like, it, it's all about that individual. That individual, because when we give out of compulsion, that's when I'm all like, stop, like, don't let somebody else make you feel like you're not doing enough. And I know those were the words that you used with her early on is that she felt like she wasn't doing enough. She is more than enough. It's more than enough. Yeah. 
for sure. And I think, again, sometimes we need to hear those words more often, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, fantastic episode. As per the usual, uh, listeners, if you're ready to take your financial growth to the next level, schedule a free discovery call with Sarah or myself today. During your personalized session, we'll discuss your specific financial goals, gain clarity on your challenges, and explore how working with a financial coach can accelerate your progress. Don't miss out on this valuable opportunity. Book your free discovery call today and create the new money habits needed to achieve financial freedom. Sarah, thank you for uh, pulling back the curtain and sharing some uh, information about one of your clients, uh, hopefully to the benefit of all of our listeners and viewers. Well, thank you. And thank you for your insights. I can walk away now with some other things to have a conversation with her. So, Love it. All right. Well, we'll continue our conversation next time. Thank you for listening to the New Money Habits podcast brought to you by New Money Habits and Keeping Up with the Joneses Financial Coaching. Submit your questions to our host by emailing podcast at newmoneyhabits.com. Be sure to subscribe to be notified of future episodes. Join our growing group of like-minded people on Facebook and follow us on your favorite platform. Music provided by Summer School.